The Writer Files, a member of the Podglomerate Network. Greetings, scribes. I have got some exciting news to share. The Writer Files now has an exclusive Patreon community where subscribers will get exclusive access to uncut ad-free interviews, a writer's happy hour, bonus breakdowns, and content from productivity and publishing experts each month. In the meantime, just head over to patreon.com slash the writer files. It's free to join Patreon to get a preview and you can upgrade anytime. That's patreon.com slash the writer files. Help us start something special. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Rainmaker FM. Hey there, and welcome back to The Writer Files. I am still your host, Kelton Reed. And in part two of this file, the acclaimed New York Times bestselling sci-fi author, Richard K. Morgan, spoke with me from overseas about his winding journey from English tutor to bestseller, having his novel adapted for the small screen, what it's like to write for Marvel Comics, and his unique take on creativity and the writing life. Richard is best known as the award-winning author of the noir sci-fi novel Altered Carbon, New York Times notable and Philip K. Dick award winner that was recently turned into a hit Netflix series. The author of the hard-boiled carbon black futuristic thriller series, the Takeshi Kovach novels, also writes the dark fantasy series A Land Fit for Heroes. His award-winning novels also include Standalone's Market Forces and 13, and he's the author of two volumes of Black Widow comics for Marvel, as well as Crisis 2 and Syndicate Computer Games. His latest novel, Thin Air, is described as an atmospheric tale of corruption and abduction set on Mars, and it's a return to his signature hard-boiled sci-fi that the New York Times Book Review called ferociously readable. In part two of this file, Richard and I discussed the writing life and the fallacy of a hard day's writing, how exercise, unplugging, and reading a lot jumpstart creativity, why good writers live inside of their work, Richard's candid takes on the incredible influence of Blade Runner and the critics' reviews of the Altered Carbon Netflix series, why serious writers need grit, stamina, and self-confidence, and his entreaty to all aspiring novelists. If you missed the first half of this show, you can find it in the archives at writerfiles.fm, on Apple Podcasts, or wherever you tune in, and in the show notes. Stay tuned. The Writer Files is brought to you by my friends at copyblogger.com. Words that work. Build your online authority with powerfully effective content marketing. Get superior content marketing education so you can build a remarkable online presence. Authors, bloggers, journalists, online publishers, and entrepreneurs, head over to copyblogger.com to learn more. That's copyblogger.com. And if you're a fan of The Writer Files, please click subscribe to automatically see new interviews as soon as they're published, and leave us a rating or a review over on Apple Podcasts to help other writers find us. Again, I do think there's an awful lot of, of kind of uh, I don't know, uh, French existential angst about this. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, and the truth of the matter is, and don't get me wrong, I mean, I'm not trying to pretend that, you know, that what I do, that the profession is, is actually just like making sausages, because it isn't. It's, it, it obviously, <laughs> it does, it does depend on, on flow. It depends upon what's going on in you subconsciously. It's, it, it's, it's, you know, I still, I still don't really understand it myself, to be honest. I, I don't really know how I do what I do. So it's not that, but it's still that fundamentally, if it's working for you at the level where this is your full time occupation, that life is so much more relaxed and, and um, you know, low pressure than almost anybody else I know who's working for a living. Hmm. Um, that really, I, I feel guilty complaining. I really would. <laughs> well, I mean, you kind of touched on it on the creativity piece, which is I know, you know, it, it does seem like a mystery at times, I'm sure to many artists. But how do you personally define creativity? <laughs> I, I don't know. I, like I said, I don't really know. I only know very, very theoretically what I'm doing. I, I, um, I don't know. It's, it's, you literally, I mean, like, okay, the book that I'm writing now, the, um, the sequel to Thin Air, okay, I had a, a bunch of scenes that I'd written. And I could kind of, I liked them, and I could kind of see where they might go, but they didn't seem to be, connected in any particular way and um yeah and then i think i was i was either in the gym or i was driving back from the gym i can't remember which it was now and uh, and i suddenly suddenly i had this title in my head bang just like that hmm. two words and i'm like that sounds really cool i mean that was the first thing i thought the title sounded cool so that sounds really cool and then i could suddenly realize that it could be applied to a whole bunch of different thematic factors within the, the the material that i've managed to sort of scrape up so far and uh, and then it's so, so it's like bang ah oh, and i got back to my wife i said ah, that's it i know what the new book's about I, it's got a title now i know what the, the major theme is um I, I know i know where i'm going i don't actually have a start point yet but i know you know i know now i know what it is i have no way to explain why that happened when it did i mean i think physical exercise certainly helps if you i think if you sit on your ass and stare at the screen all day and don't do anything else. I think that's probably counterproductive. Hmm. Um, but I couldn't tell you why, you know, I went out to the gym with no idea and I came back with that idea. Uh, it, you know, it, it just, um, yeah, you, you've got to be open to it. I think that's part of, certainly for, for pantsers like me, I mean, guys who don't sit down and you know, sort of meticulously map out what their book is going to be. Yeah. You've got to be open to that kind of inspiration. You've just got to let yourself, let stuff sort of well up in your head and go, ah, oh, shit, yeah, I can use that. That'd be good. Um, you know, and, and, and hope that enough of that stuff shows up. And I find, yes, certainly if for whatever reasons I'm not getting to the gym, I'm not getting to the climbing center, I'm not, I'm not getting my physical activity in, uh, that certainly makes it harder. I would say that physicality is a very important part of, of, of being creative. Hmm. Um, I don't know. Uh, I don't know what, what the other factors are. I think I, I, I hear from a lot of writers how like they won't read anything while they're writing because they don't want it to contaminate their their work mm -hmm. and I, i've never really understood that i mean i think i think i would probably you know i would steer clear of reading anything too similar to what i was writing um for those reasons but i mean it wouldn't stop me you know reading fiction as i wrote you know as a whole or yeah. or you know or watching netflix or you know whatever it might be so yeah i think it's also quite important to take in a lot of art and culture as well uh, in a way, the ideal combination, I think, is, is art galleries, because there you get your exercise wandering around the gallery and you're getting the cultural input from the stuff that's hanging on the walls. So you, it's uh, that's probably a, a total win. Uh, huh. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> so, 
you know. And I'm now going to go away and try that, actually, thinking about it. <laughs> <laughs> it just occurred to you here. Yes. And, uh... and that's exactly how this works. Like, there you are. You saw that's my, you want to know what my process is? That's my process. There it is laid bare. That's cool. That's cool. Um, yeah. So when you, when you come, when you read great fiction or nonfiction, what, what do you think, what do you think makes a great writer? Oh, I don't know. I mean, uh, I know uh, some authors have said this is, it's a trick question. It's, it's great. writing. It's not, it's not a trick <laughs> question. I think the, pro the problem is that it's, it's, it's begging so many definitions. I mean, you know, what, what is a great writer? A lot of the people who are considered great writers, I think are pretty, pretty mediocre to be honest. I, I think you have to, you have to live it. It's interesting because someone, I remember being asked on a panel once saying, you know, do you think that, that writers make good liars because after all, that's what we're paid to do. We're paid to tell lies convincingly, you mm. know? And I said at the time, I don't actually think we are very good liars. I mean, I know I'm not a very good liar. I'm shit at lying. Um, I, I, you know, um, I always get found out <laughs> but because I think the truth of the matter is I think if you were a really good writer, you're not lying when you write this stuff down because you do actually believe it. You dream it into being you're, you know, mm. for you, what's going on on the page is real. Uh, and that's definitely, I mean, I, I remember my wife walking past the office uh, a few months back and she said, you know, you're muttering to yourself. And I just realized that I was writing a particularly sort of tight and unpleasant piece of dialogue. And apparently I'd been sort of chewing it over while I was writing. It. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, I think that, I think good writers live their, live their stuff, if you like, that they are actually embedded in the fiction that they're creating. They're living it in some shape or form. Um, and I, again, I'm not entirely sure how you do it if you don't do that. I mean, I know that there are a bunch of, of writers out there who basically are just churning out a product that, you know, they, they know how to do that product. They know that it sells and they just they, they're able to push the button and just put on blomp. There's another block of extruded authorial product, you know. Mm -hmm. um, but I it doesn't I don't you know, most of those writers, I'd say you, I, I find hard to read. I, you know, because I, I, I you can feel it on the page. You can feel that it's by the numbers, that it's just kind of plodding through. Uh, so I think I personally think that uh, what makes a great writer is, is is living your work, living the you know living the fiction as you create it. Hmm. Uh, because obviously, if you're living it, you care about it. So you you you're creating characters, and they matter to you in the same way that you know real people matter to you. Uh, it's, it's a very weird thing it is to, especially, I mean, when I wrote the fantasy trilogy, I had, because it took me, well, the best part of a decade to do in the end, because I was, I was doing other stuff as well. And uh, so those characters, because they were sequential, they, they, they came, the, the same characters showed up in all three books. Those characters had years and years of sitting in my head. And, uh, and it felt really weird when I wrote the, finished the last book, and I'm like, oh, it's the last time I have to think about you guys. And it did hmm. feel weirdly like separation you know like sort of saying goodbye to someone when they go off to live on the other side of the world or something and yeah i think that's the thing i think i think it's all about being embedded in what you do in in, in living it uh you know feeling it that would be my working definition anyway but mm. as i say whether whether that applies to you know the people the so-called greats uh is, is another matter I, I you know that's something i just don't know enough about sure uh, sure i mean i'm sure we all have different a different definition of great a great what a great writer is or who a great writer is, I should say. Um, and just a quick aside to revisit the exclusive Writer Files Patreon community where subscribers get access to uncut ad-free interviews, a writer's happy hour, bonus breakdowns, and a lot more. 
I know that for serious writers, it can be more distracting than ever to cut through the noise, stay productive, and home in on what's happening in the publishing industry. Over eight years, we've provided a looking glass into the habits of professional writers and publishing industry insiders. And as your humble host, I've decided to launch a membership-based Patreon for serious scribes to cut through the noise, swap tips and tricks, and hang out with like-minded peers. Just head over to patreon.com slash the writer files for bonus writing resources, monthly episode breakdowns, writer's happy hour, a community of your peers, ad-free episodes, and more. It's free to join to get a preview and you can upgrade anytime. That's patreon.com slash the writer files. Help us start something cool and special. Keep calm and write on. But uh, do you have a couple couple favorite authors just sitting on your nightstand right now that you're you're into or you want to share yeah i mean at the moment i've got uh, what have i got in my nights so i've got uh, the first nk jemison the, the trilogy the one that won the hugos uh mm. i've got the fifth season which i haven't actually started i picked it up in the bookshop and read the first two pages and i'm like oh i am so in uh, this is, <laughs> you know it's beautiful writing it really is and um so i bought that and then the problem was that i then went off to uh, north of Scotland, up to Scotland to see my father. Totally forgot the book. And when I was in a bookshop up there and I saw, oh, look, there's this and this and this and bought a bunch of other stuff. So, yeah, the fifth season is on the nightstand waiting. I'm really currently reading um, a book called Dark Town uh, by a guy called Thomas Mullen, which is a, it's, it's, it's a little bit, it's, it's a little bit like a James Ellroy novel. Uh, hmm. It's set in Atlanta in the 1950s and it's uh, the story of the, 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 the first, quote, Negro police officers. Uh, and it was apparently what happened was the Atlanta Police Department was under pressure to provide policing for for um, black areas of the city. Uh, so they they commissioned this very small number of, of um, African-American police officers who were utterly without resources and utterly subordinated to all of the white officers. Uh, you know, I mean, it's, it's an amazing book because just the, the, the level of raw deal that these guys were getting. Uh, and I say it's 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 like Elroy. It takes you back to a period of time that you know, especially in the, the Republican right wing in America, have kind of created a hagiography of oh, the fifties before the hippies came and ruined everything, you know. And like Elroy, uh, Mullen is kind of going, oh yeah, the fifties. Yeah, if you want to remember what they were really like, uh, and you've got this very grubby street level view of of what it's like to be an African American in Atlanta in the nineteen fifties, hmm. which shitty as it is is nowhere near as as, as, how, as bad as it is to be an African-American outside of Atlanta in the 1950s. <laughs> he makes that point very clearly that mm-hmm. um, although, you know, they're put upon and under pr- pressure at all times and really suffering from, the, from you know, the, the, the kind of the weight of racism in the city, that is nothing to the hell that there is waiting outside in rural Georgia um, where, you know, where none of the protections of, of, of the urban environment in, uh, apply. And, uh, you know, the police officer, as he wants to go and talk to a witness out in the county. And the guy says to him, he says, uh, well, you know, the problem is, he says, oh, if you come during the day, I'm going to be in the fields working. And he said, if you come at night, you better not come at night. Uh, mm-hmm. And, you know, just this sense that, that you know, the, 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 this idea of like the sundown towns and the idea that you, you if you were African-American, you could not be out after dark in these places. Um, so that's a that's a brilliant book, Dark Town, and and there's a sequel called The Lightning Men, which uh, is also on my nightstand. Um, so I'm going to what I'll try and do is finish Dark Town, squeeze Jemison's fifth season in, and then go on to Lightning Men. Um, and I've also got a book by a friend of mine, Adam Roberts, who's another British science fiction author. But he's also a professor of English literature at Royal Holloway College, and a uh, bit of a polymath where where uh, where 
literature is concerned. He's written loads and loads of science fiction novels. He's written, also written treatises on all sorts of aspects of, you know, 19th century uh, English literature. Um, and he's he had quite a coup. He managed to, he got hold of a, an unfinished script and treatment by Anthony Burgess uh, for a, a film about uh, the Black Prince. Hmm. And had, he's talked to the Anthony Burgess estate and sort of says, look, I would really love to novelise this, to actually turn it into a novel using... Burgess's notes and the the, the treatment and the, the the script the bits of script that were written, and uh, went to a, um, a, a publishing uh, uh, concern called Unbound, who are basically a sort of crowdsourcing uh, publisher, mm-hmm. and yeah has managed to get this done and he, it's now done it's out I just received I I was part of the, the crowdfund to who got it off off the ground and I just received my copy it's just called The Black Prince and say it's it's by Adam Roberts based upon uh, the screenplay and treatment uh, by Anthony Burgess. Hmm. And I'm fascinated to see how Adam has sort of put on the robes of Burgess's authorial voice. I mean, that, yeah. that'll be that'll be very interesting. Uh, and I said, I'm a big fan of Burgess. I I, I, I like his fiction uh, immensely. So so that's going to be an eye opener as well. And and then I've got some um, Noah Yuval Hariri as well, the 21 21st century. Yeah. Again, I'll I'll get to that when I can. Uh, but I mean, you know, this, this is, these are hopeless dreams. I say they're all piled <laughs> on the nightstand and it's like, yeah, when I get a moment, you know, I know, I know. yeah. Um, fun. Uh, okay. So, uh, I got a couple fun ones for you. If you, if you have time before we wrap up yeah, sure. with the, any advice you have to your fellow scribes, if you could choose one author from any era for an all expense paid dinner to your favorite spot, favorite restaurant in the world, uh, who would you choose to take, and where would you take them? I see. Right, that's a bit tricky because you know very often the authors that you whose work you like, it turns out that actually they're not particularly likable people. So <laughs> right, I, I have heard that. Actually, uh, that that is, that is a tricky one. Yeah, say so I'm I'm actually thinking about the the, the authors that I know and love, and I'm, I'm not sure that I'd maybe Pynchon, Thomas Pynchon, I suppose, because mm. I, I really love his work, and and he strikes me as a man with a a great sense of humour. Uh, you know, there's there's this this lovely, warm, sort of bubbling, humane mirth through all of his work, and uh, and I say I, I get the feeling that he, he's I think he's also very shy though because I mean he's lived most of his life out of the public eye and has strenuously worked to avoid being you know caught up in the media machine at any point. Mm. Uh, and I think, I say, he's written some of the, in my opinion, some of the finest novels of the, of the 20th century. So. Uh, yeah, it might be interesting to have a chat to him, see if uh, if he's got any useful tricks up his sleeve. Yeah, and to uh, ask him what, what the fuck Gravity's Rainbow was about. <laughs> I've read it twice now, and I still have no clue. What it's <laughs> I don't think he does either, actually, because the story goes that he there are whole sections of that book he just doesn't remember writing. Oh uh, so uh, yeah, yeah, that, that, that probably will be a good one. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and where would you take him? Uh, <sighs> Somewhere retro, I think. Uh, you know, uh, I don't know. Maybe, uh, or I don't know. No, Wagamama's Wagamama's in uh, Heathrow Terminal Five mm. for breakfast because they, <laughs> they they do a really good bre- they do a really good English breakfast in a, in an iron skillet. You know, the same skillet mm. that they serve the, uh, the the sort of piping hot um, uh, rice dishes in. And yeah, sitting there watching the planes take off at six o'clock in the morning that'd be a really interesting time to interview anybody. I think. <laughs> cool.
Okay, well, because the uh, the new novel, the latest Thin Air, is this uh, sci-fi noir. Um, your 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 writing's been called yeah, back to back to basic. Car- carbon black noir. I like that one. Who's that? Ken McLeod. Call it carbon. That was Ken McLeod. Yeah. Carbon black. I, I owe him a drink for that. Still, I think. <laughs> um, a riveting tale of crime, corruption, and deadly crisis on a planet teetering close to the edge. Not this planet, mind you, but Mars. Um, yeah. So the so the the last question is, uh, what is your favorite movie? set on mars or about colonization of mars oh god i can't think of any to be honest i mean they, so i mean total recall was kind of fun but i mean it wasn't any kind of classic um i don't know i don't think i don't think they've made a good mars movie yet you know i have heard that i mean you know uh there was that one i can't remember what it was called the um red planet or yeah, I think was it Red Planet? I can't remember. There was one where like they all had these computers that were basically just like a scroll um, that you you could unscroll and then sort of do do stuff on like an on iPad. Right. But it was essentially just a sheet of cellophane. But I I can't think. I haven't seen a good Mars based movie yet. Actually, I mean it's obviously, it's obviously quite hard to do because you've you know, it's not even just putting a red filter over everything. I mean you you've right. got to try and convey the sense that the gravity is different and that, that, uh, yeah, I don't know. Maybe they could make a movie out of thin air and you know, then that'd be Yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh well speaking of me, <laughs> uh, has it, no, has... I don't you know, I think um science fiction movies it's a curious thing because they they so often fail because I think there's a misunderstanding of what spectacle, you know, actually is. Hmm. And so you, you end up with a lot of movies where there's a lot of hollow spectacle, but it, it doesn't really have much in the way of emotional impact. You know, Blade Runner, which is probably still my favorite movie of all time, mm-hmm. uh, is the, there is a, the, the density of imagery in that, the, the, the way that, that Ridley Scott sort of gave you this future and you absolutely believe in it. Um, yeah. that's, that's just very rarely done. You just don't see it very often. I mean, that's one of the great things about Lita Calagridis's take on Alter Carbon was that, you know, when I saw they, they, they started, they showed me the, you know, the early stuff from the first couple of episodes and I'm like, yes, yes, yes. Cause it had got <laughs> exactly that density. That's what it had captured yeah. that sense of a lived in world. Um, and so often that doesn't happen. Uh, so often it, it, it all feels a bit plasticky or, or, uh, you know, you're just going, ah, that's a model, isn't it? Um, <laughs> yeah. And yeah, I, I struggle really with those. I find most of, you know, some of my favorite science fiction movies have actually been really low budget, small scale things that don't have much in the way of gosh, wow. Uh, you know, Primer was quite a, a, a case oh, in point. Yeah. Uh, they're movies where actually the ideas that are going on are, are, are the really interesting thing. Um, but in terms of what happens on screen, it's, it's, it's relatively a non-event. Um, Her was another one, you know, I thought mm-hmm. that was amazing movie but i mean what is it it's, it's basically joaquin phoenix talking to himself it's, right. that's, all, that's what you get so yeah i do think that it's it's you don't often get that marrying up of of really rich dense uh imagery and and sort of textual feel to, to what's on screen sure. married up with with something really cool and interesting and certainly where mars is concerned yeah they've all felt a bit sort of flat to me so far um, I, I, can't, I really can't think of one offhand. i really yeah. can't it's interesting that you mentioned Ridley Scott and his uh, vision of that dystopian future, which has, I, I, I've heard it argued that it's kind of uh, the, like the, 
template for the future, uh, in a sense, because what we start to see are some of his, you know, vision uh, now. Like we're seeing some of those dystopian pieces, like come to actually to come to life oh, in the present. Was, it, no, absolutely. I mean, it was it was it was in the the, the genuine. You know, there, there, visionary is a word that gets used a lot, especially in movies, obviously. And it, I think it's it's a term that's become quite cheapened. But there's no question; it genuinely was a visionary piece of work. And he, I mean, and it went on to influence. I mean, not not just you know within genre, but I mean, it actually went on to influence architectural style to some extent. Yeah. People. You know, they, it had. I think that's the thing. It had an amazing below-the-line impact, which which nobody even noticed for the first three or four years. You know, it was very. I mean, it was a failure at the box office. You know, right. it, it didn't do very well, and uh, it was a kind of cult word-of-mouth thing. But at, at a lower level, I think so many people were influenced by it in so many different ways. Uh, you know, there was, and I'd say, and what that basically came down to was his ability to create textual density to, to give you something that looked and felt absolutely real and you saw the same thing with alien as well i mean you know alien yeah. the first convincing spaceship ever you know you actually believed this it's like yeah that is what a spaceship would look like it's used and dirty and bits of it keep breaking and you know it, it really felt like that he he'd he captured that sense of what what those you know those ships would be like and i think you know that in that sense i mean the man's a a giant in my estimation simply because of that because that was he he did that for science fiction in a way that no one really had done prior to that you know prior to that it all felt a bit buck rogers uh yeah. you know it was you know it's the future because everyone's wearing uh you know tunics and togas and or and carrying ray guns but <laughs> it never felt real and and i say i think that was what um what really scott managed to bring to us he's going no no this is what your future is going to look like and as you say it's you know so much of it is turning out to be true you know the gene editing is is becoming um you know very much a thing uh the fucking up the climate is is very much a thing uh i mean admittedly some of these things that he borrowed he took from dick's book and and to put them on the screen you know? mm -hmm. uh, so you know it's not that they were necessarily his ideas but i think he was probably the first person to do that stuff in such a way as you you actually believed in it you know it felt real in the same way that a, a well-placed historical drama feels real absolutely how did you feel about uh uh villanueva's uh kind of sequel oh i think it was great i mean i i i think he had he was given an impossible task to perform yeah and i think he performed it very well i don't i it's not i mean i don't love it the way i love the original i think it's overly long and i think there are a couple of subplots in it that i just don't think really belonged in there i think you know nyanda wallace uh was a a misfire it was a mistake. I mean, don't get me wrong. I mean, Jared Leto is brilliant. I mean, he turned in a fantastic performance. But, you know, this sort of cartoonish bad guy, that, you know, the original Blade Runner never had that. There, were, there weren't really, you know, you look at the original Blade Runner and you're like, so who's the bad guy here? And, and to, be honest, to be honest, the bad guy, the only really visible bad guy is Deckard. You know, he shoots and murders two women. Uh, that's, you know, that's pretty much all he does up to the point where he has his, his showdown with Roy Batty. And, there is a genuine sense in which there aren't really any bad guys. There's just this really shitty situation and the various people who are implicated in it. And I think in that sense, I, that's why I think the Wallace character was a misfire because it felt too, it was like Marvel. You know, it was like, here's your cackling evil supervillain. Look, he hmm. stabs newly birthed um, uh, replicants in the stomach just for the hell of it. And it's like, that was too much. So there, there were things about the movie that I felt didn't work. But in terms of taking 
you know, the vision of the original movie and then not just imitating it, because I think that would have been the easy path, but taking it, really shaking it up and rattling it and thinking, you know, OK, where could we go with this? And also then stamping it with your own particular obsessions and concerns and vision on top of that. And then to make that cohere, I think I think I, I really honestly, I mean, it was an incredible task to take mm-hmm. on. Mm-hmm got to admire his, his balls just for accepting the challenge and i think he brings it off i think it's full of stunning images it's full of you know really powerful moments indeed it's you know and it's got it's got all of the original the gravitas that was in the original as well it's a little bit light on dynamic action for my liking i think that was that was again kind of felt that they threw some in at the end because they sort of thought oh shit we you know there's not been a lot of action we better have some <laughs> So, but you know, I mean, these are these are these are pretty whingy, carpy think carping things to say. I, I think it was a, I really think it was a fantastic piece of work, and I thoroughly enjoyed my two and a half, three hours, whatever it was, in the cinema. Mm. And I rushed and bought it on Blu-ray as soon as it came out and watched it again. But I won't. I don't think. I don't think it'll be a movie that I go back to again and again, which is what I did with the the original Blade Runner. I mean, I must have seen that movie twenty times by now. Mm. Um, and I don't, for whatever reasons, I don't think the Villeneuve movie has that, whatever that is. I don't think it has that. But in terms of, you know, as a cultural artifact, as a as a sequel, as a piece of art in its own right, I mean, it. it, it I think it was an astonishing piece of work. I really did. And I think it. I think it got a lot of very un, unpleasant bad press. You know, I think. I think they were unduly harsh about it. Sure. Sure, and understandably, because the original is, is as you say. Well, you can't touch it. I mean, the other thing, I think Villeneuve himself said this in an interview I read somewhere, where he was saying the problem is that, you know, it's a movie from the past about a future that didn't happen, um, mm-hmm. you know, and we're trying to write a sequel to it now. <laughs> uh, and, and that is, you know, that's the problem. It's, it's again, I mean, one of the things about, um, about Blade Runner that's hilarious is that, yeah, it's the year 20, 2019 and we've got these replicants and we've got space travel and off-world colonies and the rest of it and no mobile phones. <laughs> right. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> uh, but, but again, that's the point, isn't it? That, you know, this is what happens with science fiction is that, that it, it's very, it, it, it sometimes hits it right, but very often it's wrong about stuff. And, and so it then, as time moves on to leaves it high and dry, it start it becomes a cultural artifact. It's uh, and that was that was the problem with with the new new movie was that how do you take a high and dry cultural artifact, make something like it, but make that thing relevant as well and bring it up to date, uh, you know, without clashing with what was in the previous movie. I mean, it, like I say, it was an incredible task. It really was. It was. It was, it was uh, I wouldn't have done it. I, mean, <laughs> I would have walked away like no, no, sorry, no. I, you know, I'll get. So I'll do something else. Thanks. Um, but I really think it was uh, very well done. Yeah, my my hat is off to him. Yeah, and yeah. As, as you said, um, I do agree with your take on the altered carbon uh, adaptation because there is a piece of that that's uh, that you know, like like you said, when I saw it, also I was like, yes, this is this is my kind of movie, and I am a huge fan of Blade Runner, and and have uh, also seen that one dozens of times yeah it's interesting because you know one of the again alter carbon has taken quite a lot of critical flack actually i think it was far too um carnal for some people in terms Mm -hmm. of you know physical physicality in the sense of physical violence gore um sex there there was it was there was a sort of no holds barred feel to it which you know to my mind is it's very much true to the the source material i mean the book is like that as well Mm -hmm. um and I think for that reason, it, it got it, it took a bit of a pounding from the more sort of chin-strokey type uh, um, crit, uh, critics. 
Um, but one of the criticisms that I saw arising quite often was, oh, it looks like Blade Runner. And it's like, you're too fucking right it looks like Blade Runner. <laughs> when I wrote Altered Carbon, the thing that was foremost in my mind for the whole of the writing of that fucking book was Blade Runner. You know, I wrote Altered Carbon because Ridley Scott would not make Blade Runner 2. You know, yeah. um, you know. so I, in that sense, I mean, wow, yes, yeah, spot on. They absolutely nailed what that, what that was about in terms of my obsession thank you yeah <laughs> that's so good so good um well uh do you have any advice for your fellow scribes out there uh, on just how to keep going how to how to oh, keep, God, keep... I, yeah don't i mean don't do it my way would be one piece of advice um i think don't give up is obviously goes without saying i mean i was 14 years in the wilderness before i mean 14 years from when i actually started writing for submission because i all through my teens i was writing stuff but I, I don't think i ever thought seriously about what would happen when i actually finished it and in fact i wrote this fantasy epic and i never finished it because i just kept on telling the story you know? mm-hmm. um so but it, i reckon it was about 14 years from the moment that i actually sat down and started to try to write stuff with a view to getting it published um until i actually got my three book deal with orion uh so yeah you need the stamina you need to you need, you need to not give up um and and you know to to accept that it will be a very hard road and uh, you know if you want to make a, you know a lot of money and you want to you know you you, you want to have a, um, a glamorous lifestyle full-time writer is not it i mean it, it, you know they, so few of us actually end up in that in that uh, you know in that area uh, so yeah, you need a lot of grit, a lot of determination, a lot of stamina, obviously a lot of self-belief. Um, but then all the things I didn't do, uh, work smart. You need to, um, if you're a writer, well, okay, maybe your thing is novels like it is mine, but there's a whole bunch of other things you can do. You know, you can write comics, you can write game scripts, you can write, um, uh tv scripts you can write for the movies you could you know there's a whole bunch of other stuff that you can turn your talents to as a writer and get paid um don't limit yourself that would be my my you know sort of my entreaty almost because i had i had i been a bit more broad based had i looked around for other work that i could do in the same vein i think i would have got something published in some medium or other uh, a lot sooner but it was because I was like, no, I'm going to write a science fiction novelist, and I'm going to write a novel, and it's going to be like this. And um, try not to have tunnel vision. Uh, it's difficult because that whole stamina thing and the, the the necessity of believing in the thing that you're creating that requires a certain amount of tunnel vision. But you've got to try at the same time to have a sort of radar sweep, which is also going, oh, actually, why don't I try to write um, some comic book stuff, uh, or why don't I see if I submit. Um, a TV script for this, you know, this competition here or this, you know, or why don't I try out for, um, you know, to go and talk to some game companies and see if I can get work with them. Um, you know, there are lots of, and you can, you know, you can get taken on as, as a, you know, um, a staff writer in a gaming company, for example, you know, mm. so, you, you know, you're, you're just retained on salary and your work is, 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 is part of making the game. You are the, the writer or one of the writers. Uh, you know, these are all paths you can explore and they will all hone your writing skill. You will get better. I spent 14 years doing things that actually didn't hone my writing skill because I wasn't bloody writing. You know, I was doing other <laughs> things. I was teaching or preparing classes or, you mm-hmm. know, marking essays. Um, you, that's the thing that you, you, I spent 14 years really sort of 
hamstringing myself as far as practice was concerned because I was limited to the, 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 the very small number of free hours that I had when I wasn't tied up in my work. That's another thing. I mean, it takes balls, but try not to get a job that makes too many demands on you. You know, ideally, you want to work in a bar or a supermarket or something where you clock in, switch your brain off as you clock in, do the do the work for the for your shift and then switch off, clock out, go home, switch your brain back on. And then you're fresh. And that's when you do your writing. I did not have the balls to do that. And I you know, opted for a sort of career with, with the ESL. It had its benefits because I did a lot of, you know, I was, I was abroad a lot in, in foreign cultures and that was invaluable to me. But I do think that if, you know, you're probably better off getting jobs that don't make many demands on you, uh, so, you so that you can dedicate yourself more to, to your writing. But, yeah, look for ways to write that don't necessarily, that aren't necessarily the thing that you want to write right now. You know, be prepared to diversify because um, it's all useful experience. It's all, it's all stuff that will then feed back into whatever your, your, you know, your passion project is in, in the writing um you know yeah keep 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 a, keep a wide angle uh, lens open and, and and try and diversify look, look to do lots of different things keep you fresh as well i mean that's the other thing yeah. and uh yeah that's a that's about it really i think and love your you know whatever it is you're creating try and get inside it and, and be it you know try and love it uh try and actually feel your characters and your your scenarios and things um, because i think if you can't then it's it's going to it's always going to come across a little bit hollow. Hmm. So uh, yeah, you you know that. But you'll have that anyway. I mean, I think the thing is, if you if you really are a writer, um, then that will be in you already. You know, um, and it's just a question of keeping keeping the little flickering flame alive for long enough. Uh, and I say for that, yeah, just grit your teeth and uh, and keep on trogging. A perfect way to wrap up with some some fantastic advice. And uh, yeah, so. Um, the latest is Thin Air, out as of October 23rd, 2018. I uh, return to hard-boiled sci-fi for Mr. Morgan. Uh, his home base, if you want to connect with him, is uh, and learn more, richardkmorgan.com. And uh, there are links to all of his fantastic work, his blog, news, uh, etc., and um you're on twitter i understand as well yeah I, they made me uh, they, <laughs> they, yeah i was told by my webmaster and by my my publicist that you know yeah no you you need to do some social media and twitter seemed like the one that would soak up the least time ha yeah yeah uh, that that turned out not to be the case but yes i am <laughs> on twitter i my handle is um at quellist one and uh although, and again if you go to the website you'll find that my twitter feeds actualized in a little window there anyway so you can yeah. get to it from there too yeah. uh, and yes i do tend to be posting more on twitter than on the, the website the website if it's lucky gets a couple of blog posts a year because uh, just because you know who has time for that shit these days um <laughs> whereas the twitter feed yeah it's you're sitting having breakfast and you're like hey, suddenly something occurs to you yeah, bang bang that out um, nice. so yeah i'm fairly fairly current on twitter it's not very rare that i don't tweet something every day um, no, it may not be coherent, may not be particularly edifying, but, uh, you know, there'll be, be something there. <laughs> that uh, kind of sums up Twitter in a nutshell. Um, <laughs> but uh, we love it. We love it anyway. Well, Richard, thank you so much for taking the time to do this. Um, congratulations on all of your successes, and uh, we'll look forward to more fantastic work. If you ever want to come back, uh, feel free to stop by the podcast. That was lovely. Thank you very much, Calvin. It's been a real pleasure. 
Thanks so much for joining us for this half of a tour of the writer's process. If you enjoy the writer files, please subscribe to the show and leave us a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts to help other writers find us. And for more episodes or just to leave a comment or a question, you can always drop by writerfiles.fm and chat with me on Twitter at Kelton Reed. Cheers. Talk to you next week.